0: Not only do you have Pastor Chris, but Dr. Buskirk inhabits this place as well. And he was my seminary professor uh, years ago. Well, he was the dean of seminary when I was there. And there has never, in, in my opinion, been a greater preacher that, that I've ever heard. And, and so uh, it's a little bit intimidating for a guy who's... A hillbilly and who's already insecure to be able to stand in this place. So all, all that to say is, is I love Jesus. I just love Jesus, and I love people, and I don't think God chose me because I'm a great preacher. I don't think God chose me because I, I have a voice like Terry or uh, any of, of the folks that were singing, and I, I know I can't play an instrument. I think God looked at me and said, you know, he's, he's not real good at much. He's not real smart. He's not real good looking. But he loves me, and he loves people, and he can carry wood. <laughs> and he chose me, you know, like a donkey. Remember the donkey in the Bible? His only responsibility was to lift Jesus up so that people could see Jesus. Jesus could have chosen a unicorn. I know you don't believe in unicorns, but God could make a unicorn. Uh, he could have chosen a stallion. Remember, He's coming back on a white stallion. But everybody would have looked at the unicorn. Everybody would have looked at that stallion. And they may have missed Jesus, and I say that because sometimes in a a room like this, there are so many of us that that feel unworthy and unqualified and unable, and Jesus rides on donkeys, and may God look in this room and, and use us. But it begins with us seeing him first. Again, there, there's nothing great. I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm, I'm not a prophet. I'm not an evangelist. I, I won't even call myself a missionary. If there's a term, and, and I never heard anybody else use this term, but this is what I think that I am. Is it all right if I stand? I think that I'm a, a Jesusologist. You know, if if you're a geologist, you study the earth. If you're a meteorologist, you study the weather. If you're a biologist, you study life. A Jesusologist is someone who s- studies Jesus. And, and I just I love to think about Jesus. I love to read about Jesus. I love to talk about Jesus. I love to talk with Jesus. And I love to talk to others about Jesus. So I'm just a Jesusologist. Uh, Nothing nothing great, nothing, but I'm in love with him. And I don't just love him. Many people love him because it's right and because we're supposed to. And that's what I did for so many years. But my friends, I, I fell in love with Jesus one night on a beach. I'd been a good Christian before. I don't know anybody who's ever been baptized more than me. I've been baptized 17 times, and it doesn't matter your theology. I've been sprinkled, I've been splashed, I've been dunked, I've been held under, so it's, I've, I've got all my bases covered. I would read my Bible every year all the way through Genesis to Revelation. One year I made it through three times in a year. Uh, I'm, I'm pushing 60 years old now. I'm on 55 and over group. And, and I've never been drunk a day in my life. Never smoked anything in my life. But just because I read my Bible, because I would pray every day, because I was baptized, because I would go to church, I loved Jesus because I wanted to go to heaven. But one night I fell in love with Him. When I understood His words from the cross on the most horrible of horrible days, on the darkest of all dark days in the history of the world from a cross that was raised up on a town garbage heap outside of a city. When the earth shook from the cross, Jesus, as He looked down, as soldiers were gambling over His clothes, as the earth was shaking, and He said these words, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when I heard those words, it was always forgive them. He died for our sins, but that night I understood he died for my sins. And he was saying, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And my life changed because I fell in love with Jesus. And those are the words I, I want to, to talk with you about for the next little bit and really just tell you some stories that have happened along the way. Because as, as Jesus is dying on a cross, an old rugged cross, and he's looking down, what does he see? In, in the time that we were away this last month, a lot of things happened in our world. Terrorist bombings, most recently, in, or, you, you had the situation in Nice. It wasn't a bombing, but with the truck. You had the situation in Bangladesh. You had the situation in Turkey. You had an uprising, a coup, attempted coup in Turkey. You had the, the shooting in Orlando. And, and, and as, as we look, it seemed like something different was happening every day. And I know there's a lot of fear and uncertainty in our world today. And the tendency is to either complain or fight back or run and hide. And maybe none of those are the right answers and none of those are the right responses. As, as we look, how do we see this world? How did Jesus see those people as they're nailing the nails through his hands? As they've got a hammer and nail. How is he looking at the world and what was his response? You know, one of my my prayers around the world has been, I want to know Him. I want to know Him, and I want to know the power of His resurrection. But I also want to know the fellowship of His sufferings, and I want to be conformed to the image of His death. And for years, I, I prayed with Moses, I want to know your ways so that I might know you. But there's a little phrase that comes a little bit later in that same prayer in Exodus chapter 33. And Moses then prays, now show me your glory. And so for years I held off praying that next part of the prayer because I wanted to know him and know his ways. But I remember one night in Spain. It was in northern Spain carrying the cross. This was A number of years ago, it was cold, it was uh, February of that year, and I was tired, I'd been walking a number of days, and I just checked into a hotel, and this hotel looked like a castle. You couldn't see much because it was really, really foggy. Uh, The hotel was built on the edge of a cliff, you could hear the ocean down below, although you couldn't see it. And I checked into this hotel and I decided I'm going to pray this prayer. Show me your glory. So I was fasting and praying for days. And I don't know what I expected. Well, I kind of do. I I was looking for rainbows and clouds and thunder and bright lights. And I I was expecting this incredible encounter with, with Jesus Moses on the mountaintop experience with Jesus. But after the first day, nothing. Day number two, nothing. And I'm reading every scripture on the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. And I'm praying all these verses. And I want to see His glory. Each day I would just wake up and it would be thick, thick fog. Nothing. The third day, it's my last day, I stayed up all night long praying. Finally, about four or five in the morning, I fell asleep. When I woke up, maybe six or seven in the morning just a couple hours sleep, nothing. The only thing that had changed was when I looked out my window, no longer did I see the fog. The fog had lifted. The clouds had gone. I saw one of the most beautiful scenes that I've ever seen. It was this beautiful bay, and we were on the edge of a cliff, and the sea was blue, and the waves were rolling, and they were capped with foam, and, then on the other side of the bay, you could see green, green grass. And just on the other side of that, these, these incredible mountains that were capped with snow. And behind them, even larger mountains that were snow-capped. It looked like Narnia. If, if ever I could picture heaven, this is what heaven would look like. And I felt like Jesus spoke to my heart and said, Son, behold my glory. The whole earth is full of... Of my glory. And I thought, well, that's that's really not what I was expecting. But that's scriptural and that's biblical, and, and I'm okay with that. So I go downstairs and my cross is a checkout of the hotel. My cross is leaned up against the wall of the hotel. And as I came around the corner to get my cross, it was covered with rose petals. And there was this, this little lady that was about this tall. And she was bent over. Her back was hunched. She was just elderly. She could barely walk. And she was placing rose petals all over the cross. Tears streaming down her face. When she finished the last petal, she just kissed the cross. Tears running down her face. And I felt like Jesus said, Behold my glory. I have crowned her. And I've crowned each of them. With my glory. And whenever you see the least of these. You've seen me. It it wasn't what I was thinking about. It wasn't what I'd hoped for. But it was true. And as we look out into this world. We could look out at a sea of potential enemies. We could look out at a. Sea of potential traitors. And the tendency, again, is to get angry. It's to lash out. It's to to fight. Or it's to run and to hide. Or it's just to be paralyzed with worry. And God is saying, Behold my glory. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus didn't die on the cross with his finger pointed. The, the question this morning that I'm asking really is, how do you see and what do you see? When you look at our world and everything that's going on, what do you see? A friend of mine's an evangelist and he travels in schools and they do these, these wonderful rallies where they, they break things and tear things up and blow things up. And then that night they invite all the kids to come in and see more. And they're going to blow up bigger things and break harder things. And they've got guys on motorbikes and uh, there's skateboards. And just it's, it's awesome. And then my friend comes in at the end and gives a, a message about Jesus. This particular night in Tomball, Texas, just outside of Houston, the high school gymnasium where they were performing was, was full. Almost 2,500 students. And they decided that night that at the end, in order to communicate the message, they were going to do a drama. And in this drama, a young man yields to temptation, and when he does, these guys with these big chains, logging chains, trap him and bind him, representing what sin does in our life. And the young man struggles and cries out, but he's not able to get out so long comes a beautiful girl and she says hey big boy i can get you out and she gives him a big kiss but wrong relationships don't set us free so the chains get tighter someone else comes along and they're dressed in a business suit and they've got a briefcase and they've got twenty dollar bills just falling out and they say if you dedicate yourself to this if you give yourself to this you'll get out but the love of money is the root of all evil and before long, the chains get tighter. So some other guys come along and they say, listen, you're never going to get out of this. And they've got packets that look like drugs and they've got needles and they've got bottles that are full. And But the problem with the party is the party is fun for a while, but when the party's over, the chains are just tighter. So finally, this other young man comes along and he's got a handgun, a pistol. He says, there's no hope. You'll never get out. End it all right now. He starts to put the gun to his head thinking there is no hope. There's no way I'm going to get free of these chains. But then you hear him. He's got a a microphone around and so everybody is listening. There has to be a way out. And he struggles and you can hear his cries of frustration and finally says, okay, I'm just going to end it. And he puts that gun back up to his head. And as he does that, that's when my friend, the evangelist, is supposed to jump out and say, Wait, there's another way. And he's supposed to explain who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross. And then in his resurrection, that you can be forgiven, that you can know him. But it didn't happen that night in Tomball, Texas like that. Because high, high up in the, in the stadium uh, seating was a young man named Gomez. Gomez was a 23-year-old sophomore. He'd been a sophomore for a long time. Probably was going to be a sophomore a whole lot longer. Because Gomez had Down syndrome. I don't know if you know much about Down syndrome. I don't. Um, but I've got a one of my best buddies in the whole world. His son is Downs. And I know this. Every person I've ever met with Downs, they... They may not see things the way you and I see things, but I guarantee you they outlove all of us put together in the most innocent and pure and awesome way. Everybody loved Gomez because Gomez loved everybody. But as Gomez watched that play through his innocent, pure eyes, when the young man puts the gun to his head the second time, Gomez leaps to his feet and says, wait, stop, everybody stop, and they did, and in those few moments, he ran as fast as he could to the bottom of the gymnasium steps, there was a, a small fence that was separating the basketball court floor from, from the steps, he vaulted as best as he could over it, landed in a heap, dusted himself off. The young man at center court with a gun to his head, with the chains around him, doesn't know what's happening. Security is frozen. They don't know what's happening. Gomez runs out to half court, slides like a baseball player into home base. The the young man in chains flips up, lands in Gomez's lap. And in a muffled voice over the sound system, you can hear through Gomez's tears, you don't have to hurt yourself. Gomez will love you. I will be your friend. You don't have to hurt yourself. My mama and daddy, they love everybody. They love me. And they will love you. Please don't hurt yourself, mister. Then through his tears, he stops and he looks at all his friends that are just frozen. He says, what's the matter with you people? What's the matter with you people? Don't you see this man needs your help? Why isn't anybody doing anything? I know you're good people. Please help this man. It's okay. Gomez loves you. You'll be my friend. You can come home. You can be my brother. And that night, my friend never stood up with a microphone. Because nearly 2,500 students stood up. Because they saw because one man saw. And they set a man free. I said that I'm really insecure. And that's an understatement. So when I read in the Bible that the evidence of a life touched with the Holy Spirit is that we'd be witnesses, I was petrified. Jesus said, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses. Beginning in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to to preach. I remember laying down on my floor, just flat on my face and just crying out for hours, Jesus, I need more of you, more, Lord, more. God, give me more of you. And I felt like God spoke to my heart. Shut up and listen. I'm not a stock. I'm not a commodity. I'm not a part. I'm not a parcel. I'm not a portion. You can't buy or sell or trade me. I'm all I ever was. I'm all I ever will be. I'm all that I am. And when I came to live with you, everything I ever was, everything I ever will be, all that I am came to live with you. The question is not you getting more of me. It's me getting all of you. I didn't feel different, but I made a commitment. I'm going to be his witness, and I didn't have a little pocket Bible. All I had was my Ryrie study Bible. I didn't have any tracts. Back in the 1980s, the earlies, they didn't have very good tracts, so I got these gospel tracts that basically said why you shouldn't dance and smoke, and, and if you do, you're going to hell, and, uh, and, and I got those, and I thought, where are lost people bars. They're in the bars. I was always told, don't go to the bars. Showed up at 8 o'clock. Nobody was there. I thought, wow, Tulsa is really saved. (laughs) Tulsa backslid pretty quickly. By about 10 o'clock, they started filling up pretty good. By midnight, Tulsa was just really backslid. It was full. But I didn't talk to one person because I was so fearful and shy and insecure and Course, my excuse was I don't feel led. Of course, my question to everybody now is what does feeling led feel like? Does it tickle? Does it shazoom? I didn't feel led. At two o'clock the bars shut down. I still hadn't spoken to one person. Let me just tell you because I'm an old athlete, I training for the Olympics. I, I had never been awake that late in my life. I looked higher than all the other people in those bars. I looked like a glazed donut. My eyes were just red and a star-spangled banner in there. And uh, finally, I said at 3 o'clock in the morning when there's no cars left in the parking lot, Jesus, if you want me to talk to somebody, bring them out, and I will. The next person I meet, I'm thinking that's a pretty safe prayer because the parking lot was empty. And I prayed in Jesus' name, amen. Before I said amen, someone came around the corner remember, I look higher than anybody else. I've got a Ryrie study Bible under my arm. I've got gospel tracts in my hands. And because of the adrenaline rush, there's no personal space. I jump right in the guy's face. So if you die right now, you know, sure, to heaven. Jesus died on the cross. Shed his blood. Rose again. His life. Praise the Lord. You want get saved? And um, I can't repeat what he said because we're in church. Um, let's just say it wasn't very nice. It, it had something about directions and something I should do. And Um, And he spit on me. And I knew I failed. I got in my car, put the key in the ignition. And a big black SUV blocked my path. It's one of those kinds that's really high that you almost have to pole vault to get up into into the cab. Tinted window came down, and it was the same guy. Are you that man that was trying to tell me about Jesus? Yes, sir. You really meant it, didn't you? Uh-huh. Could we talk? And we sat down on the curb. And we talked till the sun came up. And I'd like to tell you that his life was changed. I think it was. But can I tell you whose life was really changed? It was mine. Because I saw that those people in those bars, in those nightclubs, those people under the bridges or on the street corners holding up those signs, those people in those mosques or in those temples, those people in those war zones, those people in the banks and the people across the fence of our house. They're not monsters to fear and be angry with, and point our finger in judgment. But they're kidnapped royalty. Men and women created to be sons and daughters of the king of all kings. And yet somehow they've been trapped, somehow they've been led away. Now they don't need our pointed finger of judgment. They need our outstretched arms of love. Not everybody brings their trash to, to church. But I brought my trash this morning. Um, just in case you're wondering if I'm telling the truth, there's a banana peel and kind of a wet, soggy um, napkin. We finished a roll of paper towels and empty water bottle and apple core and the point of this is it's not very appealing. We've got a guest that's staying with us and uh, he's even had some Korean food and there's some of that in here. I won't pull that out because it's pretty smelly. Um. But you know, if you look through trash long enough, sometimes you can find something that's valuable. It's a $5 bill. You can kind of keep looking through here, and uh, here's some more. 20. Oh, here's some yogurt. Um, $100 bill. sure is easy to look at our world and see the trash instead of the treasure, instead of kidnapped royalty. As I walk down the road, I pick up a lot of things. I have a lot more time. I slow down and I see things in a little bit different way than a lot of people do. I'm able to pick up stuff along the way. Are you guys going to help me out? Could you all, while I'm telling these last stories, could you guys help me out, please? They're going to give all of you something. It's one of the things I pick up all around the world. Thank you guys very much, by the way. It's a gift. It's not a very big gift. I'd love to be able to give you the treasure that I found out of the trash to everybody, but passing out pennies. Because as I walk down the road, I I pick up every penny. It's amazing how many pennies are on the roadsides. Are coins, whatever kind of coin. It doesn't matter how small it is. And sometimes it's, it's heads down and tails up. And I pick it up. Sometimes it's, it's covered with crust and dirt. In fact, every one of the, the pennies that are being passed out today are pennies that we picked up along the roadside. I promise you I'm not going to give you one of the pennies that I'm going to say next. It's amazing where, where guys put pennies even. You go in the restroom and there's pennies in there. And I feel like God wants me to pick up the pennies. I wash my hands really good. Do you know why I pick up pennies? Because it, every coin has value. And so does every person. And it reminds me that no matter what somebody has done, no matter how dirty they are, no matter how many times they've been stepped up, stepped on, no matter how filthy the environment is, the penny has value. And so do people. So much so that Jesus... On the darkest day of this earth, on a town garbage heap, while people are, have just driven nails through his hands, and birds are picking at his flesh, and flies are swarming around his eyes, and soldiers are gambling at his feet, because he saw as his father saw. He could say, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We say that we're Christians. But are we following Jesus? For 20 years of my life, I was as good of a Christian as there ever was. But I wasn't following Jesus. These aren't my words, but they're Jesus' words. Following him is hard. It's hard enough that he says we have to count the cost. To follow Jesus means to turn the other cheek. It means to go the other mile. It means to bless those who curse you, to pray for those who spitefully use you. We live in a dark world and it feels like we're on the outside of the garbage heap but there's a lot of pennies out there that need to be picked up and they're not going to be picked up by our critical facebook posts by our pointed fingers of judgment by our withdrawing from the world they're going to be redeemed when we look at the savior and we see his light And we allow His light to shine through us, and then we see His glory. We see a beautiful world that He created. We see sunsets and sunrises. We dance in the rain. We pick the flowers. We play with the children. We bless, and we sing, and we speak. Does that mean everybody we saw in Europe came to know Jesus? I'm sad to say no. Does that mean we say that Europe is a hard place? I'm happy to say no. Europe is open. The United States is open. Africa is open. Australia is open. I've been to Antarctica and Antarctica is open. The penguins loved me. Actually, the first two people I met... In Antarctica they've got research stations down there we started at the Polish station and these two guys what is this what is the meaning of this why are you here why is this cross following us to the ends of the earth I said what do you mean 1987 we saw you crack of Poland now this cross comes all the way explain to us why is this cross here now first two people in Antarctica give their life to Jesus. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So what do we do? We look at Jesus and as we gaze on him we begin to gaze and see things the way he sees them. And when we see people like he sees them, then we begin to love them like he loves them. And when we love like Jesus, then people begin to see Jesus in us. What kind of Christian am I? I don't know. You tell me. Whatever Jesus is, that's what I am because I'm following him. Let's leave this place today and let's pick up every penny that we see. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord, we're honored to stand in your presence, and I pray that I honored your trust. Thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for a place that has a shepherd who looks out for the sheep. Thank you for a shepherd who seeks to communicate, and not only communicate, but protect the sheep. For a father who tells us what's going on. Thank you for every family every person that's here. I pray that they would hear your words from the cross today if they've never ever heard them before. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Not only would they hear those words, but that love and that forgiveness would just penetrate deep, deep into their heart. Lord, even if there's some of us who've come close to the cross, but we've been far from you, may we come to you today. Some who've been baptized 17 times or never smoked a cigarette or read their Bible every day, but they don't know you, may they say yes to you. Lord, we know it starts with uh, you opening our eyes. Would you give us eyes to see you and your beauty and your glory and your majesty? But as we look at you, would you open up our eyes that we could see people that are treasures hidden in the garbage of this world? The value of every person, whether they're their tails up, heads down, whether they're in the mud or whether they're in urinal. May we reach out to them because they've got value. May we be all like Gomez. May we say to the world, wait. And may we run right into the middle of those that are bound by chains and set them free. I love you. I'm so thankful for you. Friends, while your heads are bowed, is there anybody you just say, my life's not right with God and I want to make it right. Could you just lift your hand up high across this room? Say, I feel like one of those pennies I've just been stepped on. I'm dirty. I'm not clean. I just need somebody to pick me up. If that's you, could you just lift up your hand? Say, I I just need Jesus. Amen. Lord, we love you. And I just give you this little offering of loaves and fishes. Would you take it and multiply it? Give everybody a basket full to take home. In Jesus' name.